In the ring with Eusebius Makaiser. Eusebius Makaiser. Probably the most significant political event today is Mbali Ntuli's resignation from the Democratic Alliance. Now, this is someone who is of enormous importance to the success of the DA in KZN. It is a province where in successive elections it has slowly but very clearly been on an upward trajectory. And of course, team is always important when it comes to electoral processes. But individuals who understand their communities are critical to the team's success. And Mbali and Tuli cannot be discounted in terms of their contribution to improving the overall profile of the Democratic Alliance in KZN. And that's besides the fact that until recently, she was also nationally prominent. And that goes back in particular to her years as youth leader. And she'd been in the party for some 15 years. So her decision to quit the party as a member of the party as well as an NPL in the KZN legislature, is a massive deal. And I had a sit-down interview with her for Times Live for my podcast, Eusebius on Times Live. But I thought that it might be so important a political event that I want to have maximum opportunity for you to engage the issues. Most of you listen to both podcasts. Some of you don't yet do so. Please subscribe to Eusebius on Times Live so that you don't miss a beat. You can do so on any podcast platform. But if you haven't yet, I thought I'd cross-post from Eusebius on Times Live because of the importance of this political moment. And you can have a listen to how the conversation unfolded between me and Mbali Tuli and judge for yourself the logic of her decision to exit, temporarily at any rate, South African politics. In the ring with Eusebius Makaiser. Eusebius Makaiser. I am in my studio and I normally do these interviews via Zoom, but for once I actually am doing a live recording with my guest. I'm busy fraternizing with a former politician. I think you might know her by the name of Mbalin Tuli. And so I can't be accused of sucking up to a politician and having scones and cake with her because um, she's now just an ordinary member of the public. Good morning. (laughs) Morning and thank you for the cake. (laughs) (laughs) I don't have to declare it. There's absolutely nothing that will come out of it. And I don't have to declare it either. It's the good cake. It is. It's really nice. Yeah, well, shout out to Just Teddy's. They make amazing cakes at Hyde Park, darling. Yay. If that's your neck of the hoods. Before we talk about the logic of your having announced this morning that you are no longer a member of the Democratic Alliance, you said something which I think I can share with the public that you feel, I think, kind of sad. And it's interesting that you declared your feelings when you walked in, not only on the basis of comfort with me, because we've known each other for donkey's years, but actually my first question to you was going to be, Putting the logic aside for the decision, how do you feel? I do. I feel sad. um, and Well, maybe sad is not the right word. I think emotional is the right word. Um, I've been in the DA for a very long time. It's been a big part of my formative years. Um, I've made many friends that are probably as close as family now. Um, And it's been a lot of sweat and tears and toil 
I mean, it hasn't always been easy, but it's also not easy to just leave something that you've spent so much of your life doing. So it does feel a little bit emotional, especially because everybody's sort of talking like I'm dying. <laughs> um, <laughs> so that's a little bit weird. But also I think it's emotional because you look back on everything that you've done and the kindness that people are you know, expressing towards me and it makes you feel like sometimes you don't know if you have an impact, but it does feel a little bit like I did. So mm. that's a bit emotional. Mm. Do you feel free? Um, I, I think I've always felt free, um, and, but I do feel like I'll be less constrained going forward about sort of how I can um, say things and do things. And I think I've already been quite forthright already, but sure. I look forward um, to just being even more of myself, I think. Yeah, I mean, part of the reason I'm asking that question is when I interviewed Bongani Baloy after he left the Democratic Alliance, he viscerally, you could feel his sense of freedom. And I guess he was not as open about how he felt about particular moments mm. within the party as you have been over the last 15-odd years. Mm. Um, but he happily declare, declared a sense of freedom. I mean, you can see it. It's like sort of Bongani during the DA days and then this Bongani afterwards, you know, the same with Musi. Musi is a different character now. Um, Lindy Aware was also relatively free like you and speaking Mm. her mind. But in my observation, which it's not to say it's gospel, when she left, went overseas and she started writing as a columnist, there was definitely a kind of general freedom with which she was expressing herself and her place in the world that wasn't there. And, and it's not a diss of the DA intrinsically. Mm. There must be something about party politics, politics that requires a certain amount of discipline, even if you're a maverick. Yeah, I, I think so. I think it's a combination of the decorum that people expect you to behave in when you are public representative. Um, and then I think for some people, it's also just the rigidity of the way that the party is, that they feel they have to uh, be a certain way. And so there's a catharsis, I think, for them when they leave to mm. have that kind of exhale. Um, and I think, you know, maybe uh, sometimes I shouldn't have, but I think I've exhaled enough that this feels uh, more, to be more myself, but it's not a, a new feeling, I think. I think I've been quite open most of the time. Look, there's a lot of important questions I must ask you mm. in our allotted 20 minutes. And we will get to your record that you are rightly proud of. And I thought it was interesting and appropriate for you to cite your record in your statement that you released this morning. Because many people, women in particular, are often unduly shy and excessively humble to a fault in articulating your achievements. People also want to know what next, of course. Mm. But let's get to the real reason people are listening to this right now is mm. why did she leave yeah and, and there will be speculation there will be your stated reasons and then there will be people speculating about quote-unquote the real reasons let's start firstly with your official reasons before i ask you chachra questions <laughs> um well i mean officially and largely personally i think i'm just in a in a trajectory and a personal growth journey that's um, I want to explore a lot more things. I think I want to have more freedom to do a lot more than I can do in a political party. Um, and I, and I'm, I, I look at people that are older than me in some of the political parties, um, and it scares me that they are 
too comfortable with the way things are. And I just feel like my mind was going to atrophy if I stayed there. And it would have been easier to just sort of continue being in a cushy seat in Parliament and doing the bare minimum to get by because mm. the bar is so low in this country. But I'd like to challenge myself and I'd like to think that politics isn't a job for me it, and as trite as it is because of the way politicians act, uh, I feel it's a calling. So I want to do something that's more aligned with my purpose and I want to challenge myself to see if the stuff that I think of how we can maybe reimagine politics or reimagine the way that civil society acts in the country is possible. Mm. Um, so I don't want to just be sitting around doing the easy thing. But there are two parts of your statement that give us a sense of where an actual push factor or two might have crept in. You say that you don't really want to rehearse what is already in the public space in terms of, for example, gossip and slander mm. that happened, nastiness that you allude to in the subtext, mm. particularly around the leadership race. Just refresh us, though, in terms of memory. What are those elements in terms of, and you use the word culture even, I think, what is it about the, the, the culture of the Democratic Alliance that makes it a labor of love to continue being a member, let alone a leader? So, I mean, I, I, I did say that I didn't want to rehash it because I have been forthright, but I've had, you know, my conflicts with leaders um, who have, I think, used their platforms of being senior in many instances to um, try to intimidate or try to have their desired outcomes um, of whatever conflicts and that's played out in the public. Um, I've been the subject of city disciplinaries uh, every other year, basically, um, with things that I think uh, were really meant to either kowtow me or to make me feel like I should have left. Um, and, you know, those are things are based around personalities um, mainly, but that kind of thing does take its toll, its toll on you and the peace and the mental stability. And, of course, if there's a culture where people can see that happening, not just to myself but anyone else, people wonder whether they should say anything. And so one of my things that I said in the letter when I wrote to my kids and colleagues is that they must stand up for themselves, but more importantly, they must stand up for others. And I think I was out lucky. Of, out of interest, what is the calculation to be coy rather than to be blunt? Because if I, you know that I've observed your former political party for many, many years, because I think... Older political analysts have got a monopoly on understanding the, the ANC and tripartite alliance because they grew up inside those structures in ways in which yeah. us as younger people don't. And, and secondly, from a theoretical point of view, I think competitive politics, which I know you share with me, and it was a motive for starting out a branch in Grahamstown. Competitive politics is the lifeblood of a democracy. Mm. So keeping tabs on the opposition is, for me, something that's interesting and important. You wrote a whole book. I wrote a whole book on, 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 your, on your former party. But, yeah, I'm suddenly being asked to dig deep into my gift of interpretation to translate for my readers and listeners what you are saying. And what you are saying is, just like the ANC, 
There's factionalism within the DA. Sure. And that factionalism sometimes results in structures, including the DC processes, being used for the benefit of one faction's political ends. That certainly was Why would you Is that correct? Because I don't want to put words in your mouth. Sure. And if it is correct, I, I am interested in the meta question as well. Why wouldn't you be that blunt? So, I mean, I think I have been. Uh, my entire leadership race, uh, I said very... Uh, explicitly that I think that the DHCs and the FLC are weaponized against particular people, usually people who have a diversity of views that aren't aligned with the leadership of the time or the national, provincial, whatever structure, mm. um, and that it's it's been bent to to do that at the expense of killing the culture in the organization of people feeling that they can have those views. Um, and the reason I didn't want to rehash it is because you can find it everywhere. I've written about it. It's on my Facebook. It's on my website. Um, and anyone like yourself who obviously follows, I would just think that they, they know it. Um, but I'm also trying to leave on a gracious note and not you know, really get into that kind of mud because then we start having to sling a lot of things around. And, you know, I keep all my receipts so... <laughs> if, if somebody wants to say something that's incorrect, I'll cough, be very. Comes <laughs> eleven I'll be very sure to correct the narrative, but um, there's not there's not much of a need for me to say it now. But yeah, that was I, the most gracious political <laughs> blackmail I've ever heard from a former politician. <laughs> no, I delete nothing. Um, but yeah, for me personally, uh, there's a part of it of just feeling that maybe I've also reached my ceiling because now you just you, you have this. Yeah, well, that's true here. You have this on your back all the time. Um, but more importantly, I also just think it's time. And uh, what's the saying about a dancer knows when to exit the stage? And I hope that people in the DA also A couple take of that. quick questions before we transition. I'm such a nice person. I want to make sure we finish this conversation. I'd rather have you for an hour, but so that you can do your other media blitzes for the afternoon. So a couple of <laughs> quick questions before I get to the, to the next big question. Um, would John Stianison be a really cool and effective South African president? I don't think so. My um, view of John as a colleague is that he's done well in parts of his career. Um, and as I said when I was running a, against him, I don't think he has the uh, temperament um, sometimes to be somebody that could lead South Africa. Um, and so, you know, but maybe he will be on a personal growth journey himself. And that's not to denigrate him or his character. It's just my observation from being up close. Mm. But he won, and democratically the people in the DA believe that he can. And One so thing about your statement that, that I found interesting, and I know that you spend a lot of time on it, obviously because you're a thoughtful politician, is that to the extent that you were willing to make comments about the party at all, they had to do with culture or process, which is really interesting to me. And not so much about ideas and policy. And the last couple of days, the big news out of the DA is an attempt to have triple BEE thrown out the window and come up with a new way to get companies to make a difference to the country mm. and to index lack of opportunity against, for example, class and other markers. Mm. Are there massive ideological schisms between you and other senior DA leaders on questions like race or redress, for example, because it was conspicuously absent, or was it a case of you're not writing a book, there's more you could have said? Certainly there is more that I could have said, but I also I think you need both to have an organization that is going to be 
successful and that is going to be able to do the kind of work that a political party should be doing. And if you don't have the culture and the organizational um, means to allow people to even place that on the table, then there's really no point at this point of discussing ideas because it's not something that's going to be there. I think you need to change that and allow for people to be able to have that space to disagree or to put whatever issues there are that they think are important and the party should be considering. And that's what I think is the problem. Then, of course, of course, because we're in politics, then you can have uh, the debates about the various um, political ideologies or, or strategy or what people think on policies. And I think that there's a world of difference, even within the DA now, on some of these issues, mm. and that's okay. But if mm. no one can talk about it, then it just feels like to me you kind of speaking about something that will never happen. You should rather change the culture first. I'm going to tap our professional relationship for another interview in the months ahead where we can, without the hurly-burly of the news headlines, talk about some of those issues. Sure. Right? Um, but I do want to, to, to explore one or two other aspects of your statement that jumped out at me. <laughs> that it was just written deceptively, clearly, <laughs> and concisely, but the careful reader would be able to write a good higher-grade essay <laughs> about <laughs> what is really going on there. Beyond the DA, in fact, you indict the entire political system, mm. which is really interesting. Equity and justice are important normative values for anyone who's a serious Democrat. Mm -hmm. And in your second-last paragraph, you basically put on trial the party political system in the country as having failed to deliver those outcomes for our communities. Mm -hmm. Say a bit more about that. I, and this is why I'm not joining another political party, because I see none of them being willing to sort of get out of the archaic mold that maybe had worked in the past century but is no longer relevant, I think, and that has, if anything, confined them to being unable to adapt to the times. And, I mean, I'll use simple examples. Young professionals, people that are in uh, various spaces like the media or corporates or wherever it is, or even just activists, aren't attracted to political parties. They are turned off by the way political parties uh, engage with the politics of the day, the ideas that they put forward and the way that they behave. Mm. And that should be something that they all should be introspecting on. And I think that there's a rigidity to the system, but there's also just a lack of reimagining what that could look like. And I'm going to go off and try and answer that question, um, which is why I what, want to what, take some what, time. What's, what seemed to me particularly an indictment of you as an individual and all of you collectively as politicians across the spectrum is that it's your job to make sure that you keep those touch points with communities alive 100%. in a bottom-up manner. And a lot of what you are proud of in terms of where you started your career was precisely to make sure that the youth are rendered visible mm -hmm. within the opposition, official opposition. Where did things go awry and where did you yourself become part of the elitism problem when you started in those structures? So I think... And I mean, this is not to sort of, you know, make myself seem better. I think I've really tried to keep those kind of flows important. But from the daily expectations of the work that you do um, and the way that party political systems expect you to work, 
for me, there has been that schism of it becomes more focused on party versus constituency community work, and which is another reason that I'm leaving because I don't feel in touch, especially with COVID mm. and the last two years, that I, I I don't have a sense of grounding of where things are. Um, but I think it's also easier for a lot of people to just go to a legislature committee meeting, listen, maybe don't open your pack and then vote if you vote, 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 and go until you've done a day's hard. It's much harder to actually get back on the ground. And I think that people will rely on what's easier and, I guess, less difficult well, it's for not them. unimportant, but no, sure. there is a legitimacy crisis that opens up but if you don't have responsiveness to communities. Exactly, right? and also who are you really talking to and talking about when you're not even having that particular ability to go back to those communities? Um, and... For me, it's a big reason why I want to go back because I do feel a little bit out of touch and I do feel insincere wearing the mm. skin that I'm wearing right now as an MPL in the legislature. Um, and it's uncomfortable Which for me. brings me to my second last question. You, I said earlier that you were appropriately accurate in taking stock of your track record inside the Democratic Alliance. And it will be interesting to see whether the DA trolls will try and minimize your individual contribution to the electoral gains in KZN in particular. Mm. Um, your leaving is going to be a massive problem for them because that those cleavages that you have in KZN stem from a combination of bloody hard work, especially in the most northern rural parts of the province, and also... A, a win that sometimes is not sufficiently acknowledged by us, the children that were the experiments of multicultural education, that we have a dexterity, mm. um, or as Americans would say, code switching that mm. enable us to speak linguistically, culturally across a number of different constituencies. Mm. Um, not to ask you to be arrogant, but speak into that for me, because one respect in which I thought you were perhaps underselling yourself in your exit statement is there was only a one percentage point difference across the two numbers you had cited in terms of electoral growth. But if we look at successive provincial numbers in particular and how the IFP and the ANC have taken a hammering over the last 20 years, I think that the electoral inroads that the DA had made unexpectedly, given how we stereotype the party, mm. were enormous at provincial level in particular, Yeah, beyond local elections. Yeah, I agree. Um, and I think for me that was also one of the hard things, particularly with what happened to my former condition team, Kanye Wude, in 2019. It was very heartbreaking for me um, to see all that hard work be reversed, I think, by a lack of strategy on the party's part to take rule votes seriously. Um, and I felt very um, responsible for the people that we spoke to and were campaigning with and the activists mm -hmm. that, you know, sort of gave up hope and the councils that we had worked to get elected who couldn't come back. Um, and it was very tough to, to swallow. But I, I am very proud of that work and nobody had done it before in that mm -hmm. particular area. But I'm not alone. There were people like Tlangadani Kumbi who was in Zululand North also a code-switching person of our generation. <laughs> um, you know, people like Zwakede Mwango, who was an exemplary <laughs> provincial leader. Um, and I think that the DA had 
such an opportunity to do a lot more there. Um, and it was very difficult, I think, to see some of that disappointment. But I, I for me, and this is why I put it in the letter, is something that I'm most proud of. Also because when we first entered the DA, everyone thought we were coconuts that couldn't work in deep rural areas or townships. And that's yeah. specifically where I focused yeah. on. Um, so I also just kind of like, you yeah. know, being a little bit different. In yeah, that sense. they thought you were... Fibbing in coming up with your biographical receipts about your family history. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, that's been really great. Um, and that's where I want to go back. So, which leads me to the last question. Community work does have a strong tradition in South Africa, an incredible long history, mm. including before 1994. Yeah. It is enmeshed with politics. Community work is political as well. Mm-hmm. And whether we talk about important historical flashpoints like the mass democratic movement, whether we talk about ward committees that had to supplement for a racist state, Mm. how to do social security in our communities throughout the 70s and 80s, the work of the Black Sash, the work of Black Consciousness. it, it, It really is profound. Tell me what drives you philosophically in how you are conceptualizing community work. Who is the community? And then where will the money come from? And what are you going to do? (laughs) Uh, So I think that's a good question, the community And it's one that I've been thinking about a lot Because I think there's a lot of communities Um, And I just think of the ones I'm part of So even, you know, moms in Durban North are are a community Students are a community People are advised to a community People who are social change makers in their actual physical communities where they are fitting in a need that the government isn't doing uh, our community. So that's part of what I want to be able to do now is to really, uh, I think, identify what we mean by community and where you can best utilize those needs. But I'm really thinking at this moment, very high level conceptual about putting those communities together and going to them where they are to try and help them and empower them. Um, and I'm going to find money because, you know, I've been here for a long time. I think I've met enough people that have a lot of money. South Africa has a lot of money. And a lot of people want to do good, but they don't know how. Um, and that's going to be the challenge that I set myself is to go out and get these donors um, and decide how best have you, to Have you been fundraising? I haven't been explicitly fundraising, but I've definitely... Uh, looked at who I think will be amenable that I have close relationships with who I know have a lot of money to give and who don't want to give it to political parties. Mm. Um, And so, I mean, I don't have anything concrete that I can fully say now, but all the things that you're speaking about now, the UDF, mass democratic movements, all of those movements for me seem as though they're already the archetypes for what we maybe need to go back to um, and to rather have the power be more in the hands of people, faith-based organizations, civil society organizations, individuals with whatever single issue campaigns um, and, and maybe take back some power in that way because I just I can't see what we currently have giving us any different gains um, and I'm I'm sort of filled with rage sometimes, and I'm just tired of it. And I think most South Africans are. Well, I wish you all the best. It will be really interesting to see what comes of those initiatives. And we're going to hold you accountable. <sighs> You've now declared that you will be doing yeah. it. And I think what's also interesting about your statement is that you have explicitly said that you are still interested in politics, but it's a question of when and how that re-entry will happen. Definitely. I think uh, it's in the blood. So never say never. But uh, I need to do this, I think, for my own personal growth and also to... Bonus question. Have you got a call yet from Herman Mashaba? 
<laughs> I was spoken to him. He loves in, giving calls. <laughs> I was spoken to him in uh, a lot over the years, but no, not today. <laughs> <laughs> You're not interested in a little bit of Afrophobia. Ah, Eusebius. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Mbali. All the best. Thank you.